You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Welcome to Refuge Community Church. Uh, my name is Sean Omi. This is about to be an unveiling. Yeah, the the beard the beard is gone for right now. For right now, um, man, welcome. Y'all are gonna be like, I can't focus. I'm just staring at your chin the whole time. Um, welcome and happy Advent, um, man. What what a, a beautiful season. Some of you may be looking at these candles and going, that little guy right there, he's not gonna make it. Um, there's like bets going, like whether or not that one is going to make it all the way through to Christmas Eve service. Here's the deal, though. Like, even if it doesn't, just so you know, that's not going to, it's not going to light anything on fire, I promise. But the cool thing is, if it goes out, the Christ candle's coming, and he is our joy, and he is our love, and he is our peace, and he is our hope. So who cares, right? Whatever. Christ is going to bring it all. Uh, sorry, that is not like very uh, traditional of me, but you know, whatever. Uh, Christ is our, our peace and our hope and our joy and our love. And so, yeah, this week we focus on love. Um, this is our theme. Uh, and we haven't done that every week, focused on the theme of each candle. But, but this week, I'm actually, the sermon is, is uh, focused on this, this theme of love. And we're going to be looking in, in 1 John. There, that actually was the confusion with the screen. Uh, it was 1 John, not John, and uh, forgive us for that. But yeah, 1 John 4, 7 through 16 is where we will be. Now, the, the book of 1 John uh, is, is a really appropriate letter uh, for us to be focusing in on. The reason I say this is because uh, what's going on is this church is experiencing uh, heresy coming through. Like people are coming through and proclaiming certain things that are just not true, splitting up the church and causing problems. And, and John, the, the author, is saying, hey, these are, these are, he's calling them false prophets, and he's saying they are not of God. And he's trying to call these things out. One of the major things happening seems to be uh, that they're claiming that Christ did not actually come in the flesh. That Christ did not actually come in the flesh. Now that's that's uh, that's exactly what we are celebrating in this Advent season. The idea that Christ came in the flesh is it, it's it's pretty amazing. Like right now, people argue over whether or not Christ was God. Back then, they used to argue about whether or not he was human. Like that's how it happened in the beginning in the first century. Like there's huge difference. But here we are now going talking about this idea of Christ becoming flesh, God becoming flesh. And dwelling among us, and and John is dealing with these people who are saying, "Hey, he didn't actually become flesh. It's like God figure this this divine being was there, but not truly in the flesh." And so he's having to deal with some of that. The other thing is one of the major themes is love. So how much more appropriate for this week, the incarnation and love? We got it all in one passage. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, we are in chapter four uh, again, verses seven through sixteen. Uh, and we're looking, as we go through this passage today, there's three things, three things I just want to draw out. Uh, God is love. Christ is the embodiment of love. And we are the hands and feet of love. And that's, that's what I, I think these three points really stood out to me as I was reading and studying this week. So uh, let's dive into the beginning. Just God is love, verses seven and eight. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
God is love. Man, that is such a strange statement. To say God is love, it does not compute. I mean, like, really, though, like, God, like, we're not saying, now, to be clear, we're not saying God, uh, love is God. And I think pastors have clarified that many years over and over and over. But this idea is that all of the attributes of of love are attributes of God. Now, not all of the attributes of God are attributes of love, but all of the attributes of love are the attributes, or parts are attributes of God. God fully embodies that that. That, uh, that, tr- that love in all that he does. He is love in action. So this idea of God being love is, is huge. It's, when we talk about our theology, like we, what, what you truly believe, this is important for us to begin to gather and understand that we begin to focus on, on things like this. There are a few things in the Bible where God is straight up said, God is, and then a noun given. Usually there are adjectives. God is... Uh, holy or loving or whatever. But here we have God is love. You get a few of those. You get God is love, life, light. Uh, you, get, you get several, spirit, you know. Uh, but you don't get a whole lot. And, and Ben Witherington, uh, in, in his book called Who God Is, lays this out a bit. He, he talks about the importance of, like, there's something special about focusing on when, when God is defined as a, as a noun, Uh, to, to pay attention in a particular way. He says this, that God is love tells us something very different than saying that we have a loving God. That God is life is very different than saying uh, God is living or lively. That God is light is very different than saying that God is enlightening. You see my point. Too often we emphasize the adjectives without fully taking in the implications of the nouns. And here in our passage, we're, we're looking at this idea that God is love. He truly is love. That something about his very nature is love. And I, I don't know how many times I'm going to repeat that, but God is love, okay? Uh, and it's, it's important because as we begin to, to grasp this idea, uh, we, it's hard to do it. Like, the moment we start talking about it, the moment we start to wrap our minds around it, is the moment we start thinking about love, the, the loving things, the way that that love is displayed. But oftentimes, that we, like, we don't sit and just, just sit in that idea that God is love. And, and so, you know, I mean, to just take in this, this strange reality that the attributes of love are attributes of God. Um... Now, as hard as it is to wrap our minds around it, there's, one, there's a song I really, really, I personally love, and uh, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's called The Ballad of Love and Hate by the Avett Brothers. I don't know if you're fans of them or know who they are or whatever, uh, but man, this song is so good, and what I love about it is because it, it gives us this personification of love and a personification of hate. You get this idea of like love actually actively as a person in some way. And love and hate in this song are in this relationship. Um, love is away on vacation. She's riding home and she's saying, hate, I'll be home soon. I can't wait to see you. And hate is like, whatever. And he throws away the letter. And he goes on a long walk and just mad and looking at all the drifters and lonely people. And he keeps his head low. He doesn't really focus on anything around him. But love is looking around the world and, and excited about just the beauty of earth, the earth and stuff. Anyway, all of this kind of like culminates in, in the end 
end where he's angry, he's out, he's out drinking, doing his own thing, you know, and, and she, she gets home, and, and I, I mean, the, uh, the phrase in the, in the song is, is so good. Um, it, it, she says, uh, it, it says this, it says, hate, hu- hate stumbles forward and leans in the door. Weary, head hung down, eyes to the floor. He says, love, I'm sorry. And she says, what for? I'm yours, and that's it, whatever. There's this beautiful picture of love that has already forgiven the brokenness of this individual. This, and so you get this, like, like I said, this personification. And when you go through this, I mean, this song is so beautiful. Guys, guys, maybe you should go listen to it. Maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. But what, like, as you listen to it, the description of love, listen to this. On the other hand, love, love is, this, so hate is doing all these horrible things. Love is patient and kind safe, caring, hope-giving, always forgiving, never giving up, uh, lasting forever, carrying goodness with her, bringing purpose for growth and purpose for living and care and trust. Sounds an awful lot like 1 Corinthians 13, you know? So clearly, like, there's some biblical uh, connections going on. Um, not to say that these are like, this is a Christian band or anything like that, but there is a, an understanding that, that love is patient and kind, you know? It does not give up. It, is, it does not envy. It does not boast. You know, it is is humble, and this and so you get this picture of love personified. It's it's just beautiful, and so as you get this picture, like there's a small glimpse of like, here's God in action. Like God is patient and kind and humble, and you can think of all the attributes of love and apply them to this being as he comes as, as who he as who he is, just part of who he is. Man, and I, so I just I, I, I love this this idea as he person as they personify love they give us this picture you know uh, an artistic uh, display of that um, and I think this is so important for us to grasp this idea to to stop and think God is not just loving but God is love Himself um, to stop and think that because uh, as A W Tozer said. Um, he says this, he says, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozer is, is famous for this quote in The Knowledge of the Holy. This, this idea that who you believe God to be will shape who you are. It'll shape the way you interact with the world around you. And so if we're going to think rightly about God, we cannot just think of God as loving, but we have to think about the attributes of God applied to God himself as the attributes of God himself. You know, like God is love. So I'm digging into this bit, you know, pretty heavily. But um, I think it's important because before, before we move on, you need to understand that God, is, that's what, that's who God is. He is love. And, and so, so in order for us to understand what it means for love to become embodied and for love to have hands and feet, uh, we need to grasp that idea. And so, even even as you think about God being love, you know, and maybe you think about God being spirit, I mean, think, I mean, just being able to stop and imagine love himself coming to you and <laughs> wrapping his arms around you, being able to imagine God as love, this is so important in, the, in this, because as you begin to think about the justice of God, as you begin to think about the uh, about God who a God who who punishes sin, a God who does all these things, you have to understand that all of these things as it are done through love. That love Himself is the one who is is this is like a holy love. 
This is a just love. This is a merciful love. This is a good. So when you think about all the other attributes of God, you're also thinking about love in action doing these things. It's not just some angry God who sent his son down to the earth because he was so mad he had to, you know, beat up somebody, you know, something like that. But he, he, he loved you so much that he sent his only son. That's why he sent Jesus. He is, he is love. And so the, the consequences of our sin, the, 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 the discipline and these, these kinds of things that they come, they come with love in their hearts for us. So if you think about a good parent... A good parent who loves their child, they're going to discipline their child in some way. They're going to bring, because they want to shape that child. Not because they're like, you did this, so you deserve this, and so I'm going to give you. It's because they love them and they want to shape them. When love, when love is disciplining, love disciplines well. As you think about God, who is a God of love, all of the other little, all of the other things that you see that are part of who he is are, are also part of this loving being that are, that's coming forward. So this is why, again, I think understanding that God is love means that you cannot detach that love from all of the other attributes. They all work together. So, but we are not just talking about the fact that God is love, but that God is, uh, or that, that Christ is the embodiment of love. And we see this in verses 9 through 10. Christ is the embodiment of love. Verse 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, that not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I think it's, this is this key of this, this concept of the incarnation, the concept of love becoming flesh, you know, to grasp this is, is just so beautiful that we get this picture. What, what we get is something that was so hard to understand in, in the Old Testament. We get the embodiment of love in Christ. There was no embodiment of love in that same, uh, to that same magnitude, in that same way. But the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. They are both the God of, they are both love. And so when you look at, at love in the Old Testament, when you see God in the Old Testament, it can be difficult at times. You can look at these difficult passages and go, I don't know about that. That doesn't look like love to me. That can be, it can be difficult. And when, you, when the Jews looked at their life, when they looked at the way that they interacted with God, they were interacting with God from a distance. There was always a veil between them. So yes, they loved God, but man, only one person ever gets to go in there once a year, the high priest, and he passes through. And if he doesn't do it right, he falls down dead. You know, like this idea that God is holy and he is good and he is just. And if you go in there, you will just die because you can't handle it. How do you have a, a relationship with a being like that? That's hard. That's scary. And at the same time, they were, they, that's the, they were, we're, we're going to follow his law because we love him. He loved us. He invited us into relationship. There's all these promises about their people one day, uh, you know, living in this beautiful land. And so they're looking forward to this land and they're looking forward to the promises being fulfilled and their, and their king ruling and God being on the throne with them. There's like all this goodness in the Old Testament. And at the same time, there's this struggle of like, yeah, but 
I'm a woman. I can't even go that far into the, the temple courts. Yeah, but these Gentiles, they're not even allowed over here. Yeah, like, yeah, if God is love, that's great. But like, how do I, how do I have a relationship with this being other than like, I, I can make my sacrifices. And you get pictures of someone like David, right, who does clearly have a relationship with God. He wrestles through uh, uh, his own sin and his own struggles, and he just kind of is going for it. So you have people who do this, but could you imagine how hard it would be to grasp this picture, to grasp this concept that God is love. And when Jesus comes in the flesh, when God sends his son to the earth, all of the sudden, something that they could never have grasped before is seen for the first time very clearly. That God is willing to leave his place of comfort, of power, of, of you know, pray this, this like magnificent place, heaven, whatever. He leaves this place to come and dwell and become vulnerable, first of all, as a baby, right? And then to grow up, to become a servant to the least of these, and then to die for us. This is insane. And so when you begin to see, like, if you're a first century Jew and you're starting to wrap your mind around this idea of God in flesh, the love of God becomes so much more tangible, so much more tangible. He breaks through the, the curtain. The, in fact, the curtain veil tears the thing that separated them from God. Christ, the God of creation, comes and dies for us. This is love. He comes and displays love right there for us. Um, man, and... This, this is what we celebrate this season, this idea of love becoming flesh, of God becoming flesh, and, and specifically this week, love. Uh, and I think for us to grasp this idea of, as post-temple believers, because we we, we've come after the temple has been destroyed, it's long gone, we become the temple, so we're not really post-temple, I guess. Technically, we are the temple. Uh, Whatever, but the temple has changed dramatically since uh, 70 AD, and uh, and so how do we grasp this idea of the incarnation? How do we grasp the gravity of what has happened? Um, I'm going to do that with a illustration that you guys are going to be like, that does not match the gravity of the situation, and it's with a movie called Bubble Boy in 2001. So. Uh, Yes, if you hate this movie, forgive me. And in fact, a lot of people did hate this movie. You know, there was yeah. This movie, it wasn't great, it was funny, whatever, but look, if you're a true Christian, you can find the gospel in anything, okay? So here we go. Uh, anyway, so that's right, Bubble Boy. Um, okay, so what happens in this movie? This guy, uh, this is Jake Gyllenhaal, if you didn't know that, yeah. He played other roles, that's right. Uh, many, many roles. Uh, anyway, Jake Gyllenhaal is this dude who has some sort of immune deficiency, and if he's outside of this, like, bubble uh if in regular air he will die within a minute like that's what he's been told his whole life he's sitting in his room kind of grows up in this one room surrounded by this bubble and his parents have this whole way to take care of him but he begins to look out his window and he meets this he sees this girl across the way she lives in his neighborhood and all of a sudden she comes to visit and they begin to build a relationship between, through this bubble. Um, but, they, you know, I mean, like, not much can happen there. But they become good friends. He begins to fall in love with her. And I think she begins to fall in love with him. But essentially, he's like, 
what are we going to do? Like, there's nothing we can do about this. And he doesn't share his feelings. He's just like, what's the point? She falls in love with some other guy. They go get, they're going to go get married. And all of a sudden, this triggers him. He goes on this long journey. He's like, I'm going to go find her. So he puts himself in this like suit, this bubble suit. And he's like, I'm going to go find her. He goes on this ridiculous journey. He gets to the wedding. You got your rom-com, your typical rom-com scene at the wedding where he's going to stop it and he's going to say something. He's in this giant bubble. And he says, and the, but the beautiful thing that he says is he says, I would rather be, live one minute with you than the rest of my life without you. And he steps out of his bubble and he says, may I kiss the bride? She says, yes, which is strange because he's not the, he's not the groom. Uh, but she said, yes. Uh, they kiss and then he falls down as dead, right? Um, I'm ruining the movie for you if you've never seen this. Sorry, it was 2001. Get over it. Um, anyway, so... He falls down dead. His mom comes up, and she's like, should we tell him? Yeah, okay. Hey, you're not dead. And he's like, what? You know, um, he's really dumb. And he, he wakes up, and he's like, whoa, follow me. I promise. The gospel's all over this, all right? Um, he wakes up, and he's, he's like, oh, I'm not dead. Whoa. And she's like, we've been lying to you because you did have an immune deficiency at first, and I just wanted to protect you for the rest of your life. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it was, it was, it was messed up. But essentially what you have here, yeah. Essentially what you have here is a man who is separated from a potential bride, willing to go on an insane journey and to die for her. And then you even get a resurrection scene, all right? So there you go. There's your gospel. What's up? Right there. Yeah. But I, I think... I think if you could grasp in your mind that these, this couple couldn't even truly like imagine themselves truly fully together and married because of this separation. And this is a thin veil, you know, that you can see through and all. But to imagine the veil that separated Israel from their God. And I think you can, you can love this God in some way, but to ne- then find out that this veil has been torn, that the, that the bridegroom has come and torn it, and he has been come willing to die, dies for us and resurrects. You have a God who loves you so deeply that it's displayed and embodied so perfectly in Christ that this ought, this ought to, to completely revolutionize the way you interact with God. Now you can have an intimate relationship with this creator. He's not some distant being just out in the sky, you know. He's here and he's with us. He's present. He's made himself known and present. I th- you think about this, this reality. Um, man, uh, there, there's this, this infinite gap. If you have an infinite God, you have an infinite gap between us and, and the creator, Kant, uh, the Immanuel Kant talks about this idea, like there's no way you can reach this unfathomable uh, in, thing because it's infinite. And so anything you begin to talk about becomes just gibberish, you know. You can't really get to that God. And yet, that's the beautiful thing about Christianity. We don't just try to make our way to this infinite being by climbing some sort of infinite ladder that never reaches heaven, but we have a God who is infinite and able to infinitely cross this infinite ladder, and he comes down to us, and he makes himself tangible, and he makes himself graspable, he makes himself flesh, and he hugs, and he holds, and he kisses, and he, 
he eats with his disciples like this is a God who is in relationship with humanity and desires it deeply. And in Christ, we first, uh, we, is the first time we ever see this kind of love in God. No one could have imagined this. No one could have fathomed this idea that, that this God could love us that deeply. And here we have Christ who comes and does this for us. He, die, he comes and he dies for us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God proves his own love for us, that in, in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while you were still in your own sin. Even those who, you know, were totally against God, those God-haters, he came while they were in their sin, and he died for them. God loves you deeply. God is for you. God wants you to be in relationship with him. He's calling us into relationship. He, He literally became human so you could be in relationship with him. He crossed an infinite gap for you. The least you could do is, you know, talk to him every now and then. No. He's calling us into this relationship to actually be with him and to recognize that God, to be able to see God as love, Christ makes that possible. But not only is God love, not only does uh, love become embodied through Christ, but we become the hands and feet of love. In verses 11 through 16, we see this, um, verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son as the, as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the, the love that God has for us. In his coming, he offers something even more than just coming and dying for us, but he comes to dwell within us. There's this beautiful relationship, this him and us and us and him. This, this intimate, intimate relationship that he offers when he sends his spirit. If you have received Christ, if you've, if you've said right, yes to Christ, if you've trusted in him for, for your salvation, if you've trusted in his death and resurrection, he gives you his spirit to dwell within you, to guide you, to give you wisdom, to, to, uh, to know him intimately. It's, it's, this is something we have all been given, and this relationship becomes so much more intimate. He becomes one with us. And I, I think sometimes as we... As we think about this idea of, uh, of this God as, as love and God coming and giving us this ability to love, this, this, is, this is hard to grasp, but I, I think even more so like, to grasp the idea that like, as you begin to love him in return and as you receive this love and as you enter into love, the reality of love, all of a sudden fear of punishment kind of goes away and your relationship goes even deeper. Fear of punishment goes away. And actually, he dives into that a little bit more later. He says, there's no fear in love because perfect love casts all fear. There's because fear is tied to punishment. We don't have that fear anymore. 
This makes me, you know, when you're, when you were a child, when I was a child, I remember I had a legit fear of my father giving me a spanking if I did something wrong. Like that was a serious fear, right? Like who knows? And I remember, so my dad, man, he would ground me for like two weeks if I left the window cracked all night on accident. And like, I was wanting it to be cooler in my room. Sorry, dad. And he was like the AC, you know, you're letting all the shrimp out. No, my dad never said you're letting all the shrimp out. Kayla's dad did, my wife. Uh, you're letting all the shrimp out. Uh, but yeah, no wasting money. Uh, and, and my dad get frustrated. He ground me for like two weeks. So I remember, um, you know, anything that I did, I was like, if I really did something bad, if my dad caught me, you know, whatever, sneaking out, which he did. I've had, I think I've told that story before. But if, if, I, if I got caught sneaking out, that would be the end of it. Fear, like, legitimately, like, helped in, in uh, me not doing certain things. Not all things. But uh, as, we, as we move forward, uh, like, in our relationship, things began to change as we got a little older. Yes, I, I still had the stern look every now and then as I became a teenager and then a little bit older. And, and I still got, you know, like, they were responsible for me. So there were still, like, things happening. But as I moved out of the house and then I kind of moved away and then I began to start my own family and then... Our relationship, something happened. Something happened where, like, I don't have this fear of, like, discipline from my parents anymore. I'm not, like, worried that they're going to, like, okay, Sean, I know you said you were going to be here at 5 o'clock. You came at 5.05. You cannot come in the house anymore. You know, like, they're not going to do that to us. Um, there's, no, there's no consequences in that way, you know. We, all of a sudden, we're in this different kind of relationship where now the only thing that really remains is this, like, like, words of wisdom, love, care, like they still are there for us, but it's just a different kind of relationship. And I think what, as you get rid of that, that side of it, as you grow up and you realize like, I am mature enough now or I can uh, make smart decisions for myself and sometimes I'm not, but that's going to be on me and I'm going to have to deal with those consequences. There's something that happens, uh, you know, as you get older and you have this new relationship with your parents and it's when you're no longer tied to their authority in that same kind of way where they're like going to bring punishment down on you, where you're always worried about that. And I think there's, this is applicable when you think about your relationship with God, when you think about the fact that he has died for you, he has covered your sin, that all of your sin has been taken care of on the cross. Now, that, does that mean we go wild and do whatever we want? No, of course not. What that means is, like, when you do sin, you know that that's been taken care of, and you don't have to worry about whether or not you're in good standing with him. You have this, now this relationship where you're, you're connected to this, this loving father. And so, again, the intimacy increases, and as you enter into this realm of love with him, you also yourself find uh you also find yourself then loving others well because your eternal your, as as you begin to realize the love that's been poured out on you you begin to love others well and this this is what um this is what john begins to talk about as as he as he gets into this and he begins to talk about uh as he as he's saying if you haven't if you don't love others then you don't know god you know uh when you in, truly enter into a relationship with him, it's not just talking about, um, it's not just talking about uh, knowing him like as like knowing about him, but like actually knowing, experiencing an experiential kind of relationship with him. As you do that, you yourself are transformed. Um, this is this is what 
the bap the idea of baptism is all about like when you get baptized you're immersed into this water and you come out and this like it represents what's going on in your heart right you have been immersed into this god of love and you come out radically changed and this idea this uh this word for immerse this is uh baptizo and in the greek and in in this word was actually used no kidding for pickling recipes um the cucumber would be baptizoed and uh you know it would go it would go in and it would come out and be a cucumber and then it would be a pickle um and so there's this like radical change from being completely saturated in this this uh, solution and i think this very same thing happens when you enter into god's presence you are baptizo you are in his presence you are like saturated in his presence and in fact when you come out of the water you don't leave god's presence you remain in his presence and you are being radically changed from the inside out god is absolutely changing you so that the love the god who is love uh, is be- his nature his character his attributes begin to show through you because you begin to fit that solution you begin to make sense of what that whole thing, it, it, cha- it changes you, it wrecks you. And now from this day forward, as you go out into the world as a pickle, uh, <laughs> you, as you go out, you begin to love others. I love pickle. Um, <laughs> sorry, pickles are too goofy, y'all. I, don't, I'm, I'm, I need to stop. I'm being goofy today. Uh, as you go out into the world and you love others, that, that it's, it like flows naturally from you because the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love and it, it, it's, it's part of who you are and it begins to flow out of you naturally. And so if you truly experience this God of love, it should wreck you and change you so that you love those around you well. So that when you see the pain of those around you, the hurt of those around you, that you would care deeply about that. That it would change the way you interact with the world around you. When you come into contact with this God of love, there is something about it that can't leave you okay with injustice in this world. It can't leave you okay with your neighbor suffering. It doesn't leave you okay with, with, the, with the brokenness in this world because you see another person that needs the love of God poured out upon them. And so if you have entered into this relationship with God and you've received his spirit, if you are in him and he is in you, all of a sudden you are this different, you are tr- utterly transformed and you are this new person called to go and make a difference. Not because he did it, so you have to do it too, but because he did it and he transformed you. And so, therefore, be who you have become. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, the new has come. God has done something new in you, and you can walk now in love in a way that you had never been able to before because you had never experienced love like this, a love that, is not, that, has, that has completely taken on all consequences of, of your sin, that said, I, I'm willing to take it all upon myself. All of your brokenness, all of the things that you have done, I will take it upon myself. I am willing when you come into contact with something like that, and there is no comparison, I can't come up with an illustration for you that fits that, because what God has done is so much bigger than anything on this earth. When you come into contact with love like that, you can't help but to be transformed. And the church ought to then be considered, should be considered, the hands and feet of love. 
we fail miserably at that often. We do. We fail miserably at it often. But I, I, I do hope and I do pray. I have hope that, that the church, when I say church, I don't just mean us. I mean church worldwide. I have hope that because we have God's spirit dwelling in us, we're convicted of that brokenness in our own lives. And it causes us to take step forward, to repent of the brokenness in our lives, to repent of those times when we didn't love well, and to move forward and love others well. Jesus um, makes this comment that in John 13, he says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The fact that like, people will know, like, are supposed to know whether or not you're a follower of Christ based on how well you treat your brother or sister in Christ. Like, that's crazy. That's supposed to be the defining feature of who we are as a community. My prayer for us is that we would be that kind of community for one another, for the, for the, uh, for the stranger who we ought to make a neighbor, you know, uh, for those people around us who are hurting and broken, that we would stand for them and love them well. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this, though. Um, I'm going to close with this. God, God is love. Christ is the embodiment of love. And we are the hands and feet of love. And so during this Christmas season, come up. Um, during this Christmas season, let the love of God work through you um, as you remember the love of God manifested in Christ. Let the love of God work through you as you remember the love of God manifested in Christ. As you go to visit with your family members for your Christmas time, uh, know that there are going to be those people <laughs> who are hard to love. Uh, that happens, right? Um, and Bring extra grace with you, you know? Um, I, I, my prayer is that, that those people in, in your families would see a true, like, see the love of God in you in their own brokenness, off, like grace being offered to them. And for those who have lost loved ones, uh, who have experienced the brokenness of this world, uh, this is also a very difficult season. Uh, if that's you, man, know that God is near that he was willing to cross an infinite gap to come and be near you and be with you, that he is with you in your brokenness. He was willing to enter into brokenness himself to be near you. But if you haven't experienced that kind of loss and if you're not struggling, I, I, you know, extend the love of God, be the hands and feet of Jesus and, and love those people well who have experienced that. This infinite, transcendent God became imminent through love. As you consider this great love that has made us children of God, um, I pray that this love would transform you and uh, just begin to overflow in your lives. Hey, God. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um... Let's, let's go ahead and, and pray, and then uh, we'll, have, uh, we'll, we'll go into our time of communion. Um, but let's, let's pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for the love that you have bestowed on us, that you would call us your children. And thank you that you have taken all of 
the brokenness of this world upon yourself, that you have entered into flesh, that you have, have come across this infinite gap and entered into not only our space, but into our material. Like, this is so crazy that you become material for us to become flesh and dwell among us, to dwell with and know and understand, just be with us. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the love that you have bestowed on us. Thank you for all that you've done. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.